Okay, welcome everybody to this event, Labour for Decrim and the launch of the Decrim Now campaign. My name's Nikki Adams, I'm from the English Collective of Prostitutes and this is my co-chair Camille Barbagello, <laughs> sorry we were joking that I was going to trip up over her name, from the Women's Strike Assembly. Um, I was just going to make a couple of very brief points. I'm going to speak nice and loud to compete with next door. Um, first of all, if people could just put their phones on silent or turn them off or something so uh, we are in uninterrupted. Um, I was going to make a couple of brief points just in, as way of introduction really, just to say how we got here. Um, there has been a national and international campaign for decriminalisation for decades. Uh, the modern-day visible sex worker movement really emerged in the 70s when sex workers, uh, women in France and Switzerland, went on strike and occupied churches against police repression and against a society that didn't support them as mothers working to raise their kids. In 1975, my organisation formed, and there are some women here who were around at the time when the ECP formed. Um, and um, we, and then after that, a whole set of other sex worker organisations formed in other countries. We actually occupied a church inspired by the women in France. We did that in 1982, and the banner that we had outside that church was Mothers Need Money, Stop Police Illegality and Racism in King's Cross, the area in London where the church was. Um, the sex worker organisations have now, more sex worker organisations have now formed in the, in the UK, Swarm, Sex Worker Advocacy and Resistance Movement and uh, Crosstalk, Scott Pep, all whom are represented here today. And there's a team of the Decrim Now campaign who have been working very hard over four days, running stalls, getting stickers and material around. So I hope you have seen them, and that's one of the reasons that you came along today. Um, so those organisations with the union, the United Voices of the World, uh, came together in the, with others in the Decrim Now campaign. Um, we're here at the Labour Conference, here at the World Transformed, and I just wanted to say a couple of other things about that. I spent the day yesterday at the Labour Conference, both on the floor of the conference and in fringe meetings, and speaker after speaker, I found, were just spelling out the reality of life for people right now, and I couldn't help but kind of list some of the things that they were talking about. You know, people were speaking about having no time, overwork, being overworked, about in-work poverty, about homelessness. A man spoke about a, being in a public service job and not being able to afford rent for anything more than a single, damp, crowded room. You know, people spoke about the rise in rough sleeping, the lack of support for young people in care. And as I was listing some, of taking notes and listing some of those issues, I, you can't but help think those are all the reasons why people, mainly women, mostly mothers, are going into sex work. I then went to a branch, a fringe meeting for the McDonald's strikers who've got together with the TGI 
Friday's workers and others, uh, people in the fast food sector, and are going on strike on the 4th of October. And I thought, wow, you, they spoke so well about zero-hour contracts. I thought, God, you really are helping us in our Decrim Now campaign because you're spelling out the conditions in all the other jobs that are put forward as the alternative to sex work. And then lastly, I went to the uh, fringe meeting of Orgreave, who are the miners that are still fighting for justice against that really brutal policing in the 80s, still fighting for justice even now. And when they spoke, I thought, that's the same police. That is the same police that we're up against as sex workers. That's the police that are racist, sexist, threatening, bullying, violent towards us as sex workers, both on the street and in premises. So it feels like we have much in common. And the Labour Party has always is now a party against austerity and against injustice. And we feel like now is the moment for us to be able to come together as the work as sex workers as part of the working class movement for more money and less work. So the panel, those are the issues that you'll hear from today from the panel. We'll have a panel for, of about 40 minutes and then we'll open it up to questions and discussion from the floor. So first of all, I'd like to introduce Jenny Pearl, who is a mother and has worked for many years in the sex industry and is going to speak a bit about, you're going, you, could you please uh, give us a bit of an insight into the situation now for sex Hello. Uh, it's they, they want you to be a little bit closer to the mic. As you've been told, I've worked in the sex industry now for well over 30 years. I got into street work many years ago. It was a job I never thought I would do. I'd been working regularly from leaving college. I had a good job, a good home, no debts, a partner who I thought was stand by me more or less forever. We decided to have a child. That child was disabled. My partner couldn't take that. And in one way, I, it was very difficult. I understand that not all people can deal with disabilities. But he decided to leave. It was the option of my child going into care or him going. There wasn't a choice. I kept and looked after my child for many, many years. I still do. But the only way to survive after my partner leaving was to work and work part-time the hours that suited me where I could be with my child during the day, the hospital visits, on the times that he was desperately ill and on the various different occasions. To do that, I worked on the streets. I've been a full-time mum and a part-time prostitute. Nobody in my close friends or close family knew what I was doing. We were desperate many, many times for money. Along with disability comes extra costs. Those costs were never, ever met by social funding. I mean, times are changing and funding has increased. It has got a little bit better, but not to the extent of being what 
the disabled people actually need. To support us and to pay for those extra things, I've worked the streets. Domestic violence, I suffered that before my partner left. But with him leaving, it made me stronger and made me a better person to look after that disabled child. I've worked the streets, I've had many comments from the police, go and get a normal job. But to fit in with caring for someone that's disabled, it is very, very difficult. When a bill came in, I had to pay trained nurses to come and sit with my child. That's extra cost again. I'd go out and work till I'd earn enough to pay that bill, come home and then look after my child again. Nobody knew and nobody knows now what I'd done for a living but it was the only way I could work. Over the years, I have been offered opportunities to work, well-paid jobs by social services to look after other disabled people on what they call temporary respite, on critical cases when parents have been taken ill and whatever, because I had a spare room in my home. I could have done that if I hadn't have been criminalised through prostitution. Because for anybody to work with somebody with a learning disability or physical disability, have to have full police checks. Because I've worked on the street to help support my child and keep my child, I could not accept these jobs where I've it is a no-win situation. I got into prostitution thinking, I don't know, maybe... I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I was desperate for money. But I thought it was a short-term fix till things improved, or maybe I could have got to so-called normal job. But I couldn't, because I was criminalised for providing a roof and food and extra support for the child I loved. The police offer no help. They lock you up. You get fines for the number of condoms that you actually carry. I get a fine, I have to go another night on the street where I have to pay more medical costs for someone to sit with my child. It was a no-win situation. It was something I thought was short-term, ended up long-term, because I had no get-out clause. They made it totally impossible. And unless they did decriminalise prostitution, a lot of people that think it's a short-term fix will find it is a lifetime job, because there is no get-out. Unless they decriminalise it, everyone that goes into prostitution will be stuck there, because you apply for any job and they do a police check and you've been criminalised for sex work, you're not going to get that job. I couldn't even take that risk of accepting the jobs that were offered me. Because if they would have found out, I would have lost the child I'd been on the street for. Now, something has to change to help the people that are now fighting for money and are struggling to put food on the table. Something has to change. Decriminalise prostitution and give people a fair chance of getting out of prostitution 
when and if they're able to. Sorry, I should have said I was going to be asking people questions rather than just having a kind of straight panel. So I have a question for Luca, who is next, which is that um, we do hear a lot in the media about uh, violence and exploitation in sex work, and that often comes with the demand to criminalise clients. Now, France has criminalised clients, and could you say something about how that's worked in practice? <coughs> So I'll just stand because it's more comfortable. Oh, hi everyone, my name is Lucas Stevenson and I'm a coordinator of an organization called ICRSC, the International Committee on the Rights of Sex Workers in Europe. We're a European network of 100 organizations in 30 countries in, uh, in Europe. Um, so I've been working, uh, I'm a sex worker myself and I've been working uh, in sex worker rights movement for 10 years now. And just to give you a little uh, understanding of the work we do with ICRSC, we do a lot to advocate for sex workers' rights as well, but we do lots of training as well in many countries around Europe. So I had the, the chance and like the privilege to be working with sex workers uh, in Romania, you know, street women who, uh, who are drug injecting, uh, drug user. Uh, I've worked in Albania with like homeless trans people, trans women uh, who do sex work. I've worked in like many countries uh, around Europe. And the same as what we hear, we're going to hear today, like the, the reason why people go in sex work in all these places is because of money. Like the, the women and the men and the trans women and trans men who go into sex work is because of these this needs to feed themselves, to pay for their rent, etc. And I feel like this really needs to be like the basic understanding. And what we've seen recently over the last 20 to 15 years is a push to criminalize the clients. So this idea comes originally from Sweden, where in 1999 uh, the purchase of sex was, was, uh, was criminalized. And the idea is that prostitution is a form of violence and therefore it should be abolished. And I really understand, I really understand the, the reason why people think this is a good idea. We as sex workers know that there is really rife exploitation and violence in the sex industry. Many of us are survivors of violence ourselves. Many of us have endured raped or seen our friends being raped or even in worst cases murdered. But the reason that the criminalization of clients does not support sex workers is that sex workers still need to make a living. If you criminalize our clients, you don't suddenly give us more opportunities. Yeah. And this is very concretely in France that's what happened. In France we had many years of debate about prostitution. And in 2016, we criminalized the clients of sex workers. And it was you know, supported by the Socialist Party and many uh, other parties in France, uh, including our friend Mélenchon yesterday. And the idea was like, well, we're going to criminalize the client and, and make this money available for uh, women to, uh, to exit prostitution. In reality, what we're talking about is that this exiting program in France is around 330 euros a month if you are documented and if you have already exited prostitution, you have to understand like 330 euros a month is not enough to live in France, as you probably know, imagine. And what we see now with the law is that uh, there is a big research done by Médecins du Monde, which is a big organization in France, like an international organization, who've done a survey with 700 sex workers, uh, working with 30 organizations in France, and asked them what is the situation now two years after the law. And sex workers say that 63% of these, I think around 700 sex workers, say that their uh, working condition has become worse. And 78% say that they have lost income because of the criminalization of clients. 
So yes, it's true that criminalization of clients will decrease the number of clients, but you have to think how does this help the sex workers who do need to pay for their child uh, you know, uh, support, for their rent that night, etc. And this has a really dramatic effect on the most vulnerable sex workers, those who do not have other form of income, who are desperate to, do, uh, to survive through sex work. In uh, August, uh, 16th of August, uh, a colleague was murdered in Paris. She was a trans woman uh, from uh, Peru. She was living in France for two years. And she was murdered by a group of men who were trying to rob her client. And so we've been doing an, a day of action uh, last Friday, 15 countries around the world protesting against this violence. Because what needs to be understood is like this woman didn't have any other option. Uh, undocumented migrant, trans woman, who's you know, limited uh, skills in French, etc. She was doing sex work to survive. Criminalizing the client, how does this help her? So what happened is this woman and her colleague used to work in an area of the park, Bois de Boulogne, a forest near Paris. Really remote area, a really dark area, where they know the police are not going to go and get there. And this is a really dark area that was targeted by these criminals and that resulted in her death. And to say a bit more about trans sex workers, in, uh, around the world, many trans women, trans people face really high level of discrimination, violence, very, uh, probably heard like from other panels, uh, difficult to access education, employment, etc. We know that uh, over 65% of trans women murdered are sex workers. In Europe, it's 88%. So when we talk about violence against trans people or trans women, we mostly talk about violence against trans sex workers. And this is why across Europe, the biggest LGBT network, ILGA Europe, or the biggest trans network, TGEU, are supporting decriminalization. Um, and just to finish on, uh, on something, I won't be as like, metaphysical as, uh, as Mélenchon was yesterday for those <laughs> who were there and could understand whatever he was talking about. But people like Mélenchon and many others on the left or the far left are supporting the criminalization of clients. And for me, as a socialist and as a sex worker, I really just don't understand how you can coincide these two ideas in your head. What we are talking about is giving more power to the police to repress mostly women, mostly migrant women, in Western Europe around 80% of sex workers are migrants, to go into our workplaces, to arrest our clients and often to deport us. The idea that with criminalization of clients you suddenly give more rights to mostly migrant women is a lie, is a blatant lie. To give you one example in France, in Nice, uh, it's a small town, well you know Nice, Maybe horrible fascist town in south of France. <laughs> the, the mayor is like the pure. Anyway, many sex workers work there because it's quite a rich city, and you know, there's money to be made there. And many Nigerian women work there. Situation with Nigerian women is that many of them are exploited. Many of them are giving, uh, you know, have their passport taken away, have to give lots of money to their madam, to their pimp, etc. But when they approached the, the council to be like, okay, actually, we want to be, uh, go through this like, exiting prostitution scheme that is now available, out of 13 women, I think two of them were given documents. The other were deported. And that's the situation for migrant sex workers all over Europe, and especially in countries, well, not especially, but like, including in countries where clients are criminalized. And that's all I had to say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Robert. He's just turning the lights off. Oh, turning the lights off. Okay, so before I introduce the next person on the panel, we were, uh, we were hoping to have uh, Paulina Nicole, who is a migrant sex worker, join us, but she couldn't at the last minute, so she sent a video message, which Robert is kindly going to show. 
Us, we'll just have to turn around. Oh, can I just Hello say? Hello, everybody. Sorry. We filmed it deliberately darkly, you know, quite dark. We're not just completely rubbish at videoing. I'm here to speak about the situation of migrant sex workers in the UK. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person today. The majority of migrant sex workers are women like me, working to support families back home, and we are not trafficked. We get labelled as victims of trafficking by the police, who use the anti-trafficking and the modern slavery laws as an excuse to, to raid our premises or arrest us on the street. We then get given a deportation notice. That's what happened to me. I came to the UK from Romania to escape violence from my father. Sex work was the job I could do where I could earn enough to live in, in London. Also, we face a lot of racism looking for other jobs. I was working in a flat when I was very badly attacked. The police took so long to come, I have gone to hospital myself by the time they arrived. They did nothing to find the man who attacked me. Months later, the police raided the flat. They gave me a deportation letter and told me to go to Charing Cross Police Station. With the ECP, we fought this and won, but all the other women who were there at the station got deported. I helped other women fight their cases. Some women working on the street in North London were stopped by police who demanded to see their ID and refused to give it back until the women showed a one-way ticket back to their home. The deportation orders say that prostitution is not work and therefore we are not exercising our treaty rights, which entitle us to stay in the UK. One woman went to the police to try to report a gang trying to force her to work for them and was told that she will be arrested for prostitution. Other women reported men threatening her and she was told that people have to threaten you three times before the police can act. Many of women I work with are mothers. They are heartbroken that they have to leave their children behind, but this is the way they can get money to make sure their children don't go hungry. Our money means the older generation get healthcare. Our money means that kids can go to school. Our money puts a roof over people's heads. We don't love our jobs, but we are workers like any other workers. We demand an end to the criminalization of sex work. Thank you. Okay, so next is Natasha. And uh, my question to you, Natasha, is uh, if you could say a bit about what work is going on to unionize sex workers with the trade unions. Hello, my name is Natasha. Um, I'm a stripper and an organizer for United Voices of the World. United Voices of the World is a grassroots member-led union that are unionizing strippers amongst other precarious workers. Sex workers are arguably UK's largest non-unionised workforce. We're fighting for safety, dignity and rights. 
Our union is a place for strippers to collectively negotiate about workplace rules and conditions with both bosses, managers and the local councils. It's the only way that we as a workforce will be treated with dignity and respect by our bosses and to put a st stop to things like exorbitant house fees, which are fees we have to pay the club to work, arbitrary changes to commission structures, fines for being late or having to cancel a shift, blacklisting or sexual harassment by managers and bosses. The current climate as a stripper in the UK is a grim one. We have few rights, so classed as self-employed and therefore denied workers' rights, such as holiday pay, sick pay, protection against unlawful discrimination and getting the national minimum wage, just to name a few. We are also denied the freedom of self-employment. We are treated as disposable, fired and fined for minor infringements. The way strippers are treated at their own workplaces would not be accepted in any other industry. My story is a typical one. I was recently fired from my work face for not confirming my shift. I was fired from my work without warning for something as inconsequential as not remembering to confirm my shift that morning, relaying the already supplied information that I was in fact working that evening. They wouldn't even speak to me over the phone. They sent me a text saying, just saying there was no more work. I had no bargaining power, I had no rights. Being part of United Voices of the World gave me this power. I was able to access immediate legal advice, solidarity from a community of supportive workers, and the promise of industrial action on the horizon. In a stigmatized industry, often excluded from discussions about mainstream work, a mood of acceptance has prevailed. These issues within the industry are easy to identify. They are deeply and wildly felt. But these conversations really leave the changing room. We are used to feeling powerless, sorry, to feeling powerless, to feeling like we have no say over the future of our industry. A lot of us just feel lucky that our job is still legal or that we still have one at all. We're worried about making things worse by complaining and pushing for change. We don't yet see the power that we as workers hold. This is where the power of the union lies. We finally have a seat at the table. Many of us would have never thought we could have had a say in the development of our industry. The deteriorating conditions of our industry not only have implications within our clubs, but is propelled by licensing policy, specifically in the form of SEV licenses. The most prominent case at the moment is that of the Windmill Theatre in Soho, who has recently lost its sexual entertainment venue license or SEV license, which is pending appeal. In a sting operation involving private detectives hired to go undercover as fake punters, a women's right group has gathered evidence that dancers working in the premises were breaking strict licensing conditions that forbid them from having any physical contact with customers. The nil policy adopted by most licensing authorities has had a detrimental effect on our working conditions. Club, cold, club, closures, <laughs> club closures have shrunk our industry dramatically, so remaining clubs now have a monopoly over industry standards. We used to have power as a labour market to drive up standards, but that power is now gone. Last, uh, two weeks ago, I was in an, immig in an immigration raid in a legal and licensed premise in Glasgow. It was chaotic. The girls were terrified. 
As soon as the police entered the floor, uh, the floor was cleared. Dancers were kicked off the stage and out of the booths, treated like naughty children rather than workers in their own workplace. No information regarding what was happening was given. We were required to stay put and then one by one individually interviewed by the police. They asked for full addresses, contact details, um, birth date, even what flight that I took from New Zealand to London in January um, and where, which airport that I stopped through. They began databasing tattoos and piercings, recording them. We were not allowed to work while the police were there, which spanned the majority of the night, but we were still required to pay a house fee, which was £100. The support of the union enabled me to know my rights and the power it holds, to feel supported and to help guide others through the experience. We are workers and we have rights. The fair tactics used were unacceptable. Now is the time to unionize. Now is the time to give the power back to, to the workers, as without strippers, there are no strip clubs. Working alongside Decrim now, we are fighting to decriminalize sex work and then unionize it at the same time to make sure the industry is not in the hands of the bosses, but in the hands of the workers. Thank you. Okay, our last, uh, our last panelist, sorry, I think my mic may have gone. It's okay, yeah? My, our last panelist is Molly, and the question from Molly is, um, could you say something about the launch of the Decriminalisation Now campaign, and also the case for decriminalisation? What has been the track record and also, if you could, please, for the audience, just clarify a bit about what decriminalisation is and legalisation. Right, thank you. Hi, um, I'm Molly. I'm from Scott Pep, which is a sex worker-led organisation based in Edinburgh. Um, I feel slightly awkward that I, I sort of have a slightly more technical, boring um, answer to give compared to like all these really barnstorming um, speeches. So I will try to make it not too boring. Um, yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about um, what decriminalization is. Um, and I guess the first thing to do in that regard is to um, emphasize that it's really different from legalization. I know this is really, um, sounds really boring, <laughs> but it's really important because when um, sex workers and advocates um, try to talk about this issue, people often say, you know, look at Amsterdam, look at Germany, look at Nevada, uh, look at all the problems there. You know, why are you, why are you campaigning for a system like, like we see in those jurisdictions? Um, and they're right, there are loads of problems in those jurisdictions. We are not campaigning for anything like any of those systems. Um, under legalization, there are innumerable bureaucratic and criminal uh, law loops for sex workers to jump through um, in order to evade prosecution. Um, and as a result, many, many sex workers are still prosecuted under laws like those in Nevada, uh, in Germany, and in Amsterdam. Um, so, uh, for example, I may, maybe I'll just like use one or two examples. Um, 
for example, in... Uh, well, it doesn't really make sense to talk about a German model because Germany has many different sex work laws um, across different bits of it. Uh, but in Frankfurt, uh, legalisation means that there is a kind of donut shape been placed over the city. So right in the centre of Frank Frankfurt, it's acceptable to work in certain ways. Um, and then there's a kind of donut around that where it's no longer acceptable. Um, so what the police will do, they will set up stings in hotel rooms where they will ask sex workers to go on out calls um, to hotel rooms that are in the kind of outer donut, um, and then they'll arrest them for working outside the legal zone. Um, so that's an example of definitely why we don't want that system and why it's not decriminalisation. So decriminalisation um, is a legal model uh, which starts from the premise that sex workers are workers and that the protections we need at work are workers' rights, uh, not criminalisation. Um, so in New Zealand, which has had decriminalisation since 2003, uh, what that means is street-based sex workers are not arrested, nor are their clients. So that means that those workers can work in large groups of friends, uh, in well-lit areas. Um, it means that they have time to uh, assess the clients before getting into his car because the client isn't jumpy either. Um, so they have time to like, you know, write down his license number, his uh, number plate, etc. Um, it means that small groups of sex workers, up to four workers, uh, can share a flat and just work together indoors informally without having to jump through any kind of legal uh, loopholes. You know, the state just kind of trusts sex workers to work together and look after each other in that kind of convivial, friendly way. Um, and it means that where sex workers are working for managers, those managers are now held to account through labour law. Um, so, for example, back in 2014, a sex worker in New Zealand took her manager at a brothel to an employment tribunal for uh, sexual harassment, and she won her case. Um, and she won quite a big payout, but also, obviously, more importantly, she won a huge symbolic victory. Um, and the tribunal said very clearly that sex workers, like all other workers, are protected against sexual harassment in the workplace, um, which is just an incredibly powerful statement and is one that is impossible to imagine in any context where your workplace is criminalised. Um, I think maybe the final thing to say about, about that is that um, managers in New Zealand report, in fact, in fact they complain that their power has diminished, um, not least because uh, the law enables sex workers to just quit managed premises and work together with a friend or two friends and share costs and be safe in that way. Um, and obviously, if you're more able to quit your workplace, um, then you're more, much more able to resist the imposition of shitty or abusive conditions. Um, so I think that's, uh, yeah, that's maybe everything about Decrim. Thank you.
Hi everyone. Uh, as Nikki said, my name is Camille Barbagello and I'm an organiser with the Women's Str uh, Strike Assembly. Um, we're going to have some questions from the audience now. Uh, you'll notice I said the word question uh, as opposed to long statement from the audience. Uh, of course we want to hear your views, uh, which means that you can make comments, but if people can uh, think about the question uh, towards, the audience, uh, towards the panel, that would be fantastic. Um, as you can see, there's an incredible wealth of experience um, and expertise on this panel uh, and I hope that people uh, that we're able to have a really fruitful discussion. The TWT crew uh, have asked us to make an announcement that TWT is a pluralist space. That's just a fancy word for uh, lots of people have lots of different uh, opinions and experiences uh, and we all come to this discussion and this debate uh, through many different paths uh, and so whilst we need to have debate and discussion that has to be done in so in a comradely fashion uh, and obviously uh, in left-wing spaces like this bigotry won't be uh, tolerated in any single way and will be challenged immediately. Um, just quickly, the Women's Strike Assembly uh, has uh, been organising in the UK uh, for the last year and on International Women's Day this year we called a strike um, of women workers both inside and outside of the home and in the evening of March the 8th on International Women's Day, sex workers called a strike in Soho um, and assembled in Soho in their hundreds and shut down one of the busiest uh, sex industry districts in London uh, to the joyous kind of uh, beatboxing of uh, our comrades, our Kurdish comrades who brought their sound system. Um, and then we marched through Soho and joined with the picture house workers who were also on strike that day um, and held a really joyous and militant feminist response uh, to reclaiming feminism uh, for the many. Um, so if I've given people an opportunity to just have a little think uh, about if, if people have any questions. Uh, we'll do the normal thing of putting your hand up. Cool. I'll go first. <laughs> Is that working? Yeah. Okay, I mean, you might see from my T-shirt that I've got build unions, not borders. And my question is about the fact that I heard at the, um, the Bernie Sanders thing yesterday um, that in, in the US uh, where the socialist candidate actually stood for decriminalisation that the 99% of sex workers who are picked up are black and uh, what I wanted to ask is um, the about the intersection of racism and um, undocumented, you know, the undocumented workers and uh, how how that plays into the whole issue of decriminalisation. Um, and also, uh, can I throw in the the B word, Brexit? You know, how how is that going to impact? Cool. We're going to take a few in one go, um, just so that the panel can respond. Hi. Um, it's a comment that will segue into a question, I promise. Um, so I'm a special advisor on human trafficking and slavery and one of the ways that the Nordic model or criminalization of buyers is campaigned for is to say that it will reduce trafficking. So partly a comment to say that that's not correct. If you actually look at the evidence, you could say it's weak and inconclusive at best and you could say it's contradictory at worst. <coughs> Countries where they try to say that's the case, they agree through there. 
countries where they try to say that's the case sometimes also have like hostile environment strategies alongside. So Norway does this, expressly state they deport trafficking victims. So funnily enough, they've got less trafficked sex workers there because they're deporting trafficking victims. So you really like don't listen to that essentially. But the, the problem here, and Paulina mentioned this, that she's experienced what actually happens in all sectors, not just sex work, police barreling in uh, as an anti-slavery raid and actually arresting people as illegal and trying to deport them is common across all sectors. So given that we have legislation around this and that some people are trafficked and that's a genuine horrific lived experience, but it's being used strategically, highly problematically, um, what do you want to do about that as the decrim campaign? What do you see the way forward to avoid that rhetoric? Hello, uh, my name's Alicia. I'm a woman's officer in my CLP, so this is quite a, an important uh, debate for me. Um, going on to your, it's the Nordic model. In, in my neighbouring CLP, they passed a motion for the Nordic model, and they're in discussion at the moment about whether that should happen in our own CLP. And so I want to be fully informed, so I would like any comments, what you think, why the Nordic model wouldn't work and why we should support uh, decrim now. Thank you. Sorry, see South End West. Okay, I might bring the panel in on this, and I might. Uh, have we only got two mics in the whole room? Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's do some gymnastics with our mics then. Luca, did you want to come in on the Nordic model specifically? Um, yeah, sure. So. Uh, as our colleague was saying as well, on the, the Nordic model was introduced both in terms of uh, as a gender equality measure in, uh, in Sweden, but not only, it was also seen as a way to tackle trafficking. And actually it was often introduced in response to uh, an increase of visible migrant sex workers in the streets. Like specifically in Norway, there was this fear that suddenly mostly black women, both Eastern European, were now visibly walking in the street. What we see has been 20 years in Sweden, and you know, two years in France, a few years in Northern Ireland, and there's absolutely no uh, evidence that this has reduced the number of sex workers, reduced the numbers of victims of trafficking, or improved the lives of people who sell sex. And this is across all the countries that have, been, uh, that have implemented the model. What shocked me the most with this, this law is, uh, I do think we have lots of common with people who, who advocate for the Nordic model. Everybody wants a world where no one is forced to sell sex to survive. Like, first of all, sex workers are uh, an organization, because many of us have been there, and we know how difficult it can be when your only option to survive is to sell sex. So we want a world where this is not uh, the case. The, the issue with the Nordic model is that it does not address the, cause, the, the, the core reason why people sell sex in the first place, which is, as we heard, poverty, austerity, you know, uh, gl uh, global north, global south, like economic differences. What we're going to see, like, you know, there was this refugee crisis that had the whole Europe in, like, you know, arms up, uh, like, there's nothing. We're going to see more as with climate change and war, etc. We're going to see more of these uh, migration waves. And, like, people are going to need to survive, and they will use sex work to survive. Just to give you an example, uh, in Greece, you know, uh, for many years, the majority uh, of sex workers in Greece uh, were Eastern European women. After the crisis, it became a domestic woman, Greek woman, who lost their job because of the austerity, because of the cuts, etc. And suddenly, like a majority of women were now Greek women selling sex to survive. And now this has changed again as like, the, like a large number of refugees are selling sexual services. 
And to tell you that, that when you implement the Nordic model, you do not actually make anything more available for sex workers. What you do is you criminalize the only form of income that many people have. And just to say, like, in a, the, the reason why Amnesty International, the World Health Organization, the LGBT, the trans network, some of the main public health and human rights organizations, even anti-trafficking organizations like the Global Alliance Against Trafficking in Women, all these organizations oppose the criminalization of clients. Because at the end, it's just criminalization. And what we see as well, Sally, that was one thing, is that sex workers are not actually decriminalized on the ground. That's another lie. Like, the idea is like we're going like, to change. Sex workers are not going to be criminalized, but clients will be. What we see is that it's not the case. Sex workers are still criminalized, either fully, like in countries like Serbia or Lithuania, which have implemented criminalization of clients and kept criminalization of sex workers, but in countries in France where actually uh, municipal bylaws have been developed to, tar to target sex workers directly. So what we see basically is a full-on criminalization through the Nordic model. Thank you, Luca. Um, I'm... Uh down to one mic. Woo. Okay, um, just in terms of uh, picking up on this lady's comment here, Julia Salazar has endorsed the Decrim Now campaign uh, and uh, I was just about to do that. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, who is Julia? Julia is the recently elected Democratic Socialist to the New York le State Legislature. Um, in fact, I think she might be the first Democratic Socialist to have been elected to the New York State Legislature. Um, and her campaign uh, uh, had a open... Uh, she was transparent um, and very vocal in her support for sex worker rights and campaigned on the decriminalisation of sex work um, and won, uh, proving yet again uh, the myth that, uh, uh, that, sex, that the decriminalisation of sex work is not an electable uh, issue. Take note, Labour Party people in the room. Um, so I just wanted to bring Nadine in quickly on uh, trafficking and Brexit. Yeah, um, hi, thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to speak to the trafficking question um, briefly. Um, and I think that's, like, I think it's really, uh, has been a kind of gnarly issue for the sex worker rights movement for a while, um, the way in which trafficking um, is used rhetorically by those who want to further criminalise prostitution. Um, uh, I guess the thing that I hope that the Decrim Now campaign will do is very explicitly link uh, the, the struggle of sex workers um, to broader uh, migrant rights struggles and connect those two. Um, because I think what we need to be saying more clearly is that trafficking isn't about any specific um, industry, whether that's prostitution or car washing or restaurant work. Trafficking is a function of borders and immigration control. Um, and what happens is that when people need to migrate or want to migrate um, and they are not documented or that they're insecurely documented um, and they cross borders and work in, a, in an undocumented context, they have very, very few labour rights in that context. Um, they you know, are often having to pay a huge amount of money to cross borders um, you know, surreptitiously, and then they're working in a context where they have few to no labour rights in order to pay back that debt. And that is a context in which people are you know, experiencing uh, the kind of exploitation harm that falls under the category of things that are described as trafficking. Um, and what's kind of so painful about that is that when people push for the further criminalisation of prostitution using those arguments, 
they are worsening the conditions of people who are selling sex, you know, in already terrible conditions. I think it's obvious that if your anti-trafficking strategy involves worsening the conditions of people who are selling sex, then you've really fucked it. Um, and, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> And, and just more, more broadly, I think we need to stop kind of exceptionalising um, prostitution and be really clear that the problem that produces the exploitation of undocumented or insecurely documented people is immigration controls, and we all need to be pushing back on that together. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take this woman up the back. Uh, so how do you want to do the mic thing? Let's make an agreement now. Hi, um, so I live in an area within this fine city that's quite prominent for street sex work um, and quite recently there's been quite a lot of bigoted publications posted through doors to say that um, vote for me and I can get rid of the sex work nuisance and sort of quote Cohen, it seems to be quite a bit of a folk devil and moral panic now. The media are picking up to see that it's a nuisance within areas. Um, which is something I completely, totally disagree with because I've done quite a lot of research and outreach work with sex workers. And I suppose my question here is, what do we do to eradicate that mindset and to actually make people understand the truth behind the industry? And again, sort of a, a two-tier question. And does this sort of ignorant hate rhetoric, as it can be seen, does that basically hinder the decriminal campaign and how, how do we tackle that and how can we address that? And just pass the mic forward, it's easy, yeah. Hi, um, so I'm from Bristol and we, our council and one of our MPs have been talking a lot recently about some premises which are trying to get their SEV licences renewed and there's basically been a pushback from an MP who is really pro-Nordic model and a council who are doing these really weird surveys asking people how many um, sex work venues do you want in your area as a method of like deciding whether to license um, like strip clubs and stuff. And my question is, how do you kind of move the narrative from from people who are supposedly like on the left but can't seem to see the issue in terms of workers' rights? And I spoke to my MP about this recently and she is like a pro-Nordic model and her reasoning for it is that she says sex work uh, is contributing to the oppression of women and therefore if you're a feminist you should not support it. And I, there was an article in the Morning Star as well yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, again, uh, basically saying the same thing from a Marxist um, who... Some, for some reason, didn't seem to care about the workers in the situation, but basically just took it as an excuse to say, like, oh, porn and uh, prostitution are bad because they sexualize and objectify women. And, yeah, I wanted to know, like, how do you kind of uh, get, past, get past that and, and force them to focus on workers' rights and not, not be able to, like, derail the argument by talking really vaguely about women's oppression. Cool, and we'll just take someone on this side so we're not 
Um, yep, there's this young woman here with glasses with the greeny colourful suit. Sorry. Sorry, sorry to call out, but I just I wanted to say that um, I'm I'm a, a delegate at the conference. I'm a BAME officer in Hampstead and Kilburn. I'm in Camden Momentum, and I'm also a member of the ECP. And at the conference, I think sex work has only been mentioned once, as far as I know, and yet. There are a number of many. There are a number of sex workers in the Labour Party, including Labour councillors. So um, I think it's something that I think decrim is one of the reasons why women are not out in the Labour Party. Okay, from there, I just wanted to say, in relation to the U.S., we have a sister organisation called the um, IPC, International Prostitutes Collective, and they have gathered information about a high number of black women being targeted and arrested as sex workers. Um, we've tried to highlight how trafficking is being used. It's not to protect women, but it's used to arrest and criminalize women. And it's become an industry where you have NGOs collecting money, saying that they're you know, doing trafficking, but in fact, all they're doing is working with the police to get women arrested. And we've had a hard, a very hard time to get the, you know, women, um, so-called feminists, to support us in this, and you know, we need we need help. We need feminists on our side. Um, there's so much I wanted to say. I wanted to say about Hackney. In Hackney, they tried to bring in the Nordic model, and a coalition from the English Collective of Prostitutes, Decrim Now, uh, local Labour Party activists got together and defeated it. It was absolutely trounced, and we can tell you about that, how we did it. And the speak, people spoke from homeless organizations, lawyers, immigrants. It was a fantastic spectrum of people who spoke out. And I think that we can roll that out and do that across the country. Um, with immigrant women, black women, we're at the bottom of the sex industry. We're often the lowest paid workers. We're in the worst jobs, in the worst conditions. And that's got to be part of it. And it goes directly to the issue of austerity because that's why we're in the sex industry in the first place. And I just wanted to pick up on Jenny's point. You know, that it, what you're talking about is anti-racism and how sex workers, we are part of the movement, but we're considered as outcasts. And I think by decriminalizing, we'll be much more visible. I'll stop there. There's so much more to say, but thanks for asking me to speak. Um, hi, uh, thank you so much for all of your um, speeches. They were so useful, particularly for me, someone who used to believe in the Nordic model, I guess, and I've been learning more about the issue and I think really starting to see, oh sorry, I'm really starting to see why it's not going to be a solution. Um, I think one of the issues that keeps people returning to the Nordic model is a feeling that in some ways, given some of the experiences with abuse and bad treatment by clients um, and clients who at least don't care that the people who they're buying sex from may be in a sort of desperate situation or may not be really may not really have a choice in the matter I think one of the things that keeps people returning to the Nordic model is a feeling that in some way it kind of gives these people the, these abusive clients um, what they deserve in some way or it, it's a sort of moral um, you know, uh, consequence for them. Um, I, I mean, obviously that is irrelevant to whether it improves the lives of people who are um, sex workers. Um, but I guess I'm wondering what you think about 
uh, how we should think about or relate to people who buy sex under the circumstances of the sex industry as it is currently. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take one more uh, from this side of the room. Uh, this gentleman's had his hand up quite a long time. Um, oh, God. Well, yeah. Um, wondering how you think we should change the narrative in the media and society in general about how people who support decriminalising uh, sex work are represented, because ma males who support decriminalising it seem to be represented as being perverts and, like, and misogynists and that kind of crap. And then women are seem to be self-hating of themselves and of other women, anti-feminists and that kind of thing. So how do we, it's probably adding on to what's already been said earlier, how do we change that kind of mindset about you know civil discourse, I guess, is the only way I can phrase it. Okay, so we've had a bunch of questions that are around uh, what do we do to change the narrative, how do we intervene, and what can this campaign look like at a national level? So I might bring the um, uh, panel back in on that. Nadine? Yeah. Um, so to speak a little bit um, to Daisy's question. Hello, Daisy. Obviously, I've met you already. <laughs> it wasn't a planted question. We just know each other already. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought that Morningstar article, which it seems like most people in the room are aware of, um, was very um, sort of funny in a way because, as as you said, it's it was very much about abstraction. It was very much about like, um, you know, the idea that the sex industry in this in this abstract way objectifies women, which is true. Like that's absolutely true. Um, it does objectify women. It is a site of of misogyny and sexism. Um, I just think it's so interesting how people who want to make that argument very much want to stay in those abstractions and they never want to get down to the kind of more granular um, uh, kind of nuts and bolts of their argument, which is that um, we should apparently tackle that by giving the police and the immigration police more power. Um, because, you know, yes, like the sex industry is like structurally... Um, a site of sexism, uh, but I have really bad news for you about the police. Um, <laughs> if you think that giving them more power will end patriarchy, um, you know, and it's 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 so people people love the like love the kind of faux radicalism of like saying you know we're going to tear the sex industry up by its roots. We're not going to accept this. It's like well, what you're going to do is you're going to give the police more power to go into the workplaces of mostly migrant women and mostly deport them. Um, so I think. Um, I think, in general, just just like keeping focusing on on keep you know keeping the focus on those like kind of really like really granular stuff um, is is like is how we win that argument. Um, I just wanted briefly also to speak. Sorry, I know I've kind of hogged the microphone um, to the question of like clients um, and. Within the, it's funny. Your question sort of touched on a bit of. Um, there are multiple views within uh, the sex worker rights movement about how we should talk about clients, um, and sometimes um, people come to conflict uh, within the movement about that. So I'm going to try and not uh, spark any conflicts on stage, um, and I'm just. <laughs> and I guess what I want to say to that is, um, rather than thinking about whether clients are good or bad uh, now. Um, my my sense of what it's productive to do is to talk about how the Nordic model 
um, gives clients more power. Like, sure, like in a, in a very abstract sense, it puts a censure on their behavior. Um, but in a real sense, it gives them more power. So, for example, if you think of a sex worker leaning into a car window, um, you know, to discuss condom use and prices uh, and to do a kind of basic safety check, like, does this client seem drunk? Does this client seem aggressive? Um, if he is criminalized, he's saying to her, you know, get in the car more quickly and we can have this conversation while, we're dr while I'm driving away. Um, and because she needs to keep, she needs his money, so she needs to keep his business. So she is pressurised to accept those terms, which are much less safe for her. You know, for indoor sex workers, um, the Nordic model means that um, clients are able to say, "I'm not actually going to give you any screening information at all, because what if you're raided? The police will uh, find my information in your flat." Um, you know, and even stuff like, I'm not going to come to your in-call, which is obviously your own, your own turf. You know, you might have your own friend in the next room, like, quietly listening to, as to whether you're okay or not. Um, you know, he can say, like, why don't you come to a totally anonymous hotel room that I've booked in the city centre, where you don't know what the fuck you're walking into, you know. Um, so the Nordic model, in really material ways, gives clients more power. So if we think that clients are bad which some of us do, um, <laughs> then, you know, that's, that's what we should be, what we should be emphasising. Cool. I just wanted to come in quickly on the question around Marxist feminism, because as a resident Marxist feminist in the room, uh, I, uh, I think what we're seeing is an emerging international women's movement that is increasingly combative uh, and also is increasingly winning. Like, let's just remember that we've won abortion rights in Ireland this year. Uh, and in Argentina, there have been millions and millions of women on the streets fighting for reproductive justice and also across Latin America. Um, and in many parts of that new uh, feminist movement, sex workers are really central to that movement. Uh, and quite frankly, that to me seems like the kind of feminist horizon uh, that we need to be heading towards in terms of trans women and sex workers uh, deeply embedded into questions of what bodily autonomy and self-determination look like for uh, feminized and women's bodies uh, going forward. So I don't think we need to get too hung up, basically, on what a bunch of kind of like dinosaurs now um, are continuing to kind of bang the drum around uh, violence against women in a really essentialist uh, and not very materialist analysis. Um, and we need to be confident, actually, that we're on the right side of history um, and that there's many people on this panel and in this audience who have been doing this work for, you know, for myself over 10 years and others of us, we don't really want to talk about how old we are. Um, and basically it's time for the UK uh, to have the full decriminalization of sex work. Then uh, this is the, the launch of this campaign is the culmination of decades of work um, of sex workers. Uh, so I think people should feel pretty confident. You've got a briefing pack. Uh, there's a strategy around the Labor Party. There's a strategy around Mumsnet you know it's going to be good. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, this isn't a separate campaign from the rest of the feminist movement that really needs to take back a whole variety of different questions. All right. You were asking how to get workers off local streets and out of local neighbourhoods. It doesn't matter what MP you vote for. 
if they decriminalise prostitution, they take away a lot of the stigma. The reason people are on the streets is because of the stigma. They can't admit to what they're doing because of the way people think about them. Take away the stigma and things will actually change. You've got to decriminalise. Yes, there are more immigrant workers on the streets. There are more coloured workers on the street because they face the most discrimination. Because benefits aren't available to them unless they've got the right documentation. They've no option except to work on the street. Yes, they can go to premises. Yes, then they might get even more exploited by people there that are demanding higher rents and everything else. Street work is the only thing available to a lot of people. Take away the stigma. Decriminalise it. Give these workers a chance. That is the only way. It doesn't matter what MP you vote for, unless they actually change the law and decriminalise prostitution, make benefits available to all people that are here. So they've got a chance of living and putting food on the table. Benefits aren't all that good. But in the short term, you can actually manage on them. On the long term, you'd still maybe have to go and work on the street. But at least give people the option. Do you, Luca, do you mind? Can I... I just wanted to add one quick thing about what you said. You said about, you know, changing people's opinion and the difference that decriminalisation would make. And you said that you used to be sympathetic to the Nordic model, which is really interesting. I think people can also look at what convinced you, you know, like what convinced yourself kind of thing. And one of the things, the difference that decriminalisation makes is that we would, for the first time, find out who sex workers are. At the moment, it takes an enormous amount of courage to speak as a sex worker because the consequences are still very severe. You know, women in our network have had bricks put through their window when they have spoken publicly about their experience. But there is nothing as convincing but to hear from people firsthand. And, you know, I was, somebody said to me, oh, well, decriminalization is not going to change the world. Well, yes, it would. It would change the world massively because for the first time you'd find out that sex workers are your sister, your auntie, your mother, your, you know, the woman down the street. You'd find out how many sex workers are sitting in this room, how many at Labour Conference, or how many are in your neighbourhood. And you'd be able to find out without that kind of layer of discrimination and persecution and stigma and difference that, you know, is at the, in place at the moment. So it would change the world. And on your question about the laws discriminating just remember that it's it's true it's a horrific statistic that you quoted how many uh, what proportion of black women and women of color are targeted under the prostitution laws it's true here too in the UK but it's also true in relation to places where clients are criminalized the majority of men that have come to our organization for legal advice having been done for curb crawling or for the new offense of paying for sex with a prostitute forced and coerced which is a whole other story which we can talk about if people want to know are i mean in fact every single person has been a man of color and all the statistics show that that's who's first and foremost targeted under the prostitution laws. And it's not a surprise. 
But that's what's been, if, you know, the people calling for more police powers are calling for more of that. Thank you. Uh, quickly to jump on like two points around like uh, MPs using sex work as like a political tool to get some more votes. Uh, I think we need to understand that like, as like a few others have said, like sex workers, we are members of the community and these streets are our streets and the cities are our cities. Like there is no reason why we should be targeted to like make the cities more you know, palatable to like middle class uh, or the citizens. And what's happening with the Nordic model is that it actually really reinforces the stigma against sex workers. Like, to talk again about the example of France, because I was there, um, for several years you had debates in Parliament and the law was going between the, the Senate and the Parliament. And it's time to abolish prostitution, prostitution is a form of violence, abolish prostitution. The way it's translated in the media is not, you know, very complicated. The media then really reinforce this idea that we need to abolish prostitution, really reinforce this idea that sex workers shouldn't be part of the communities. And we saw things in France that I've never seen before, which was like neighborhood committees of men mostly, with big banners saying like, sex workers out. If the government is not going to take a decision, we will clean our street ourselves. And this is happening in a context of like increased racism, mostly against like migrants and like sex workers, like, you know, uh, women of color, etc. And this is happening as well in Sweden, where in Sweden, uh, there's been a research about stigma against sex workers. And now there's an increased number of people who think that not only clients should be criminalized, but sex workers as well. And like as Nikki was saying, like we need to be at the table, we need to talk, to, like we need to be visible in the media, etc. And just about the clients, it just really blows my mind this, like, you know, this idea that like, by criminalizing clients, somehow we give more power to sex workers. You know, like many of us, probably in the room, but sex workers in particular, many of us have been victims of rape. Like to put it bluntly, we are survivors of sexual violence and we know what is a rape and we know when it's not rape. To pretend that we don't know, to say that prostitution is a form of violence is so insulting to both sex workers and survivors of violence. We know, I know personally, and all my colleagues who've been through that, we know the difference between unconsensual sex, rape, and sex work. We know it because we do it every day. And the idea that like suddenly giving, you know, criminalizing all clients is going to allow us to report abusive clients is not true. Like there are laws against rape, there are laws against trafficking, there are laws against coercion. Sex workers should be empowered to do that by being decriminalized. At the moment, because the majority of us are undocumented or drug users or other form of like uh, status that is criminalized, we are not able to go to the police. And no, neither under the Nordic model. What we need is full decriminalization so we are able to go to the police and report when we are being attacked, when we are being raped. All right, all right, we've got uh, time for one more round of questions. Nice one. I just want to throw in something really positive. I'm a feminist, and I really, 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 almost passionately support um, decriminalization because um, I'm a journalist as well, and I've written an article um, toward my, um, within my portfolio that touches on this, this whole thing. And I emphasize in the article that um, when it comes to people with additional needs, for example, people that are much less likely to get into relationships or be even able to have their, um, you know, have their sexual needs met, um, they often end up going to sex workers. And, and in my article, I say, well, there's a whole thing between two people that are demonized, the sex worker plus the person with additional needs getting their sex uh, needs met. And my son, for example, um, 
isn't having his sex, sexual needs met uh, due to um, constraints put on my, on my family by um, my previous local authority. And um, I, I can't do anything about it at the moment. And he goes off the rails because uh, support workers don't realize he's no longer a virgin. And I can't take him to uh, the person I used to take him to uh, to have his sex, sexual needs met. And if they knew, then I would get in trouble. Um, he would get in trouble. Um, and he would be accused of, and, and I would say, oh, you know, be accused of say, oh, well, doing something to my son, he's got, you know, he knows, knows nothing about, like, he hasn't got the capacity. Well, actually, yeah, he does have the capacity. Anybody, regardless of, you know, their biological, you know, cognitive, sensory, or physical needs, do, does have sexual needs. It's, it's like, you know, needing to eat. So I, you know, really do support decriminalization because of that. And I Thank think you. that, you know, I really was so grateful for the, the woman he used to go and see. Um, she was somebody that actually chose to do it. She'd been, she had kids. She was putting her kids through private school with it. And um, why the hell not? Okay. Thank you. Uh, this gentleman here. Hi there. I, um, I was involved in the Labour win that was mentioned earlier on. I just want to talk very quickly about that um, and why we should be confident about getting decrim into Labour Party. Um, so um, I was caught by surprise by the Nordic model motions coming through at a lower level, at a branch level, and I'd read lots of articles in advance and so I was able to speak against it. Um, but it was a the vote became very close, so we managed to secure a debate at the higher level, at the CL, CLP level, which, um, with the help of Swarm and Ugly Mugs and Sisters Uncut, who big shouts to all of those, um, we put together a great team. It's also local members. We um, had a big debate. Um, me, a white, middle-class middle um, man, stood up first in the debate. Uh, it was not ideal, but um, we, we smashed it. We, we won, and I think a big part of that is because the arguments win. Most people, Labour members in the Labour Party, are not stupid. They know this is the right thing to do. And a lot of it is to do with a lack of knowledge about these things. So I think um, spread it as much as possible. Take the motion that, um, that I think is in some of these packs. Put it forward um, and we'll win. And um, uh, I just want to say that some of the, um, <clears throat> some of the sex worker activists that I've met are the, uh, the best act political activists and the most inspiring activists that I've met. Um, this gentleman at the back. Oh, who? Who? Okay, just that one there first. Uh, just a, a really practical question. I, uh, I, I know that there's lots of movements like this that you get really, really enthusiastic when you see a talk like this and a number of speakers who are as, as great as you are. Um, but uh, what I, I always feel compelled to do is like email some secretary of a movement and be like, what can I do? Give me a task. And that's actually kind of annoying to the person who's like trying to gather uh, various volunteers for things. And like, I wanted to ask like, what is a, what are things that you actually need that we can like, you know, like if I'm a manpower type thing, like what can I give you that means that you don't have to like then like, gather together all of the various people who want to help you and like work out what they're good at and what we can do. Okay, I can tell without you. Without giving you Sorry. money. Um, <laughs> I want to give you money. 
Uh, we'll just take uh, the uh, person with the TWT shirt. So we spoke briefly about the, the Frankfurt model of legalization, um, but I'd be curious, are there any models for legalizing sex work that you would be in support of? Or, um, yeah, that's my question. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> not legalizing, uh, for the reasons that Nadine uh, uh, talked about. Um, uh, but obviously, there's uh, quite a big difference to the decriminalisation of sex work, um, uh, which is uh, what the launch is here today. In terms of the question uh, around what people can do currently, uh, we haven't got that much time left. So uh, everyone has a pack on their chair, that's for a reason. Uh, in that pack, you'll find a briefing for the Labour for Decrim. At the moment, uh, part of our strategy is about uh, ensuring that the Labor Party adopt the decriminalization of sex work as their policy. Um, and that really this is uh, a central feminist demand for the Corbyn administration when they take power, right? That's, that's, that's the, the game in town. Uh, so for all the Labor Party members in the room, that means that we want to do things at a grassroots level and we want to have debates and motions put uh, at CLPs and at wards. Uh, it also means uh, building a public campaign that will provide the kind of confidence for all of those politicians that we actually know support decriminalisation, but in the current climate, uh, it doesn't feel like they can come out in this particular moment. Well, now, uh, in the coming year, it will feel more and more like they will need to um, at attend uh, launches and be on stage uh, because, quite frankly, in many ways, there is, there is a... The funny thing about this debate uh, is that the vast majority of the population is with us um, and we know that from polling, right? Uh, and it's just that within a particular kind of section of the political movement, there's a really heavy debate and that debate's real. But when we step out onto campuses, when we step out into our communities, actually most people understand that sex work is work, uh, that the reason why people do it uh, is the same reason that everyone gets up uh, and sells their labour power each day. It's this uh, universal commodity called money. Uh, and, uh, and that it's a, just a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? That uh, increasing people's labour rights uh, decreases exploitation in industries. How do we know that? I don't know. 200 years of a trade union movement. Uh, and so uh, those... Uh, that's definitely, so between the Labour Party and trade unions are very much a focus of the decrim campaign in the next year. Sorry. Which... Thank you. I've, uh, I've, been connected with the, I've been connected with the English Collective of Prostitutes since it began, in fact a bit before, and I was involved in liaison with this in 1976 on the first anniversary of the French women's strike. And I think it's important for people to know just what an enormous struggle has gone on to make sure that women today are not looked down upon when those of us who are sex workers speak on our own behalf as workers. It was a long struggle, including against um, feminists who really were very insulting. In 1976, the English Collective of Prostitutes wrote its first paper, and it was called Four Prostitutes Against Prostitution. 
They didn't want any glamorization of their work. They wanted to see themselves as workers, and it took a struggle of many years, including the church occupation, which was mentioned, in order to make, give the respect that is due us, those of us who are sex workers, and also to respect anything that women do in order to feed their children, anything. Yeah. Okay. And I think, and I've heard some women today say they're feminists, and that's great. That's really, I can't identify with women who think feminism has to do with going up and being a manager over other women and because it's equality over other men too. I don't believe in it. I believe in the destruction of the hierarchy among us on the basis of gender, on the basis of race, etc. But I think those of you who are feminists have a wonderful job to perform. And that is to make sure that the women who call themselves feminists identify feminism with money for women so we can refuse all the work that we are forced to do if we so choose. you do that, I'll call myself a feminist. <laughs> okay, I want to make one other point, and that is that some of us who are connected with the English Collective of Prostitutes are having a workshop tomorrow at the conference, which is called Ten. Campaigning to End Poverty. That's not campaigning against poverty. That's campaigning to end it. We are tired of it. We don't want it. We don't need it. And we must campaign against it. And all of us who are for sex workers must be campaigning for, not for sex work, but for money. Okay? It belongs to us. We've worked harder than anybody, we women. And the... The, what we are going to be highlighting in that workshop is the Poor People's Campaign, which is a new movement in the United States, which we need desperately to have here. It's headed by a white woman and a black man who work together with the grassroots, with poor people, not representing poor people. It's poor people representing themselves. And we're going to be showing some film of that and discussing its application to this country and the important changes that it can make, that a movement from the grassroots, the movement can... I have seen Jenny work against prostitution and for prostitutes for many years now, and I respect enormously the work that she has done. Because if we're going to have Selma. a campaign for sex workers, we must not forget it's the women on the street who really make up the core of the movement and their plight, what they have to face and the struggle that they have constantly made is the future for us. So now, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, is it 10? Fantastic, 10 o'clock in meeting Thank room you. one at the ACC. 
Okay, uh, we've pretty much run out of time now. Uh, I wanted to absolutely thank everyone for coming along to this actually historic day. Uh, and we'll look back on this day as a small moment uh, when uh, in the long campaign uh, to get full decriminalisation in the UK. I also wanted to do a quick shout out and thank the World Transformed uh, for platforming sex workers and sex worker rights. I also want to do a shout out to the huge team of Decrim Now organisers who've come here and given you all free totes and uh, taken your photos and absolutely smashed it on the social media. Thank you. And I look forward to coming back next year uh, where we have a motion at Women's Conference for the decriminalisation of sex work and where the Labour Party adopts the decriminalisation of sex work. Thank you.